You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, it's Monday, August the 22nd, a warm but overcast day here in TW11 and lots to get through in the next half an hour, 40 minutes or so. I'm delighted to say that I have not given Lydia Hislop, journalist and broadcaster, any respite. We spoke only on Friday, but an awful lot of water has flown under the bridge since then, not least Group 1s in Ireland and France before we reflect on the final delights of York's Ebor Festival. Lydia, where to start? I think we start with two-year-olds and the pre-morning and another strike in the juvenile division for Aidan O'Brien, whose black beard gave Ryan Moore his 100th Group 1 victory for O'Brien, which is quite a notable feat in itself. What do we make of the burgeoning Ballydoyle two-year-old talent pool? I think it's what they needed. Uh, they haven't had a strong year uh, or a strong year as they would like by their own dizzying standards, classic-wise. Their older horse brigade is not as strong as it has been in, in, in previous seasons that we, we can all remember. So I think it was very, very has been very, very important for them that their two-year-olds uh, show some signs that next year they can be dominating at, at the top level in the most important three-year-old races. And with... Um, Little Big Bear, of course, winning the Phoenix Stakes, and now Blackbird winning Blackbeard rather winning the uh, Pre Morney. They have got that ammunition, that serious ammunition for next season. It was an important win for Blackbeard. I think um, defeat of Persian Force. Blackbeard was well on top by the end, winning uh, the Group One race that his sire Nona never won back in 2013. And the other significant thing to mention from this race is that there were no domestically trained runners. All of the, all five runners were supplied by Britain or Ireland. I know Amy Murphy has had a satellite yard over in France, but not currently. Um, so again, that would be a, a concerning footnote to the race, I think, for uh, domestic fans. Um, but going back to the winner, Blackbeard look, and there were, if you just look at him in the race, there's a there's a certain maturity about him, and Aidan O'Brien was talking about that afterwards. Uh, he he's obviously you know very precocious. He's got a lot of speed now. They're thinking about something along the lines of the middle part, but also potentially going up to seven furlongs with the Jean Luc Lagardère and Arc Weekend. Um, but really, it seems to me uh, that to be fairly clear that you know Little Big Bear is the great hope for 2023. Yes, and Blackbeard obviously has that combination of talent and call it what you want, um, quirk, playfulness nuttiness he can harness it in the right way he was i mean he was a handful behind the stalls again something he's done before it's a trait of his in the race itself he was very straightforward 100 group ones for aiden o'brien and ryan moore in partnership bear in mind aiden o'brien has had johnny murta and mick kinnan and his own son joseph and kieran fallon this is the most resilient of all his jockey trainer partnerships uh, i think i think that that between the two of them they are able to to function in a in a in a way that each other under, uh, understands. So um, I think Ryan has has, um, has has done particularly well well in this role. Um, yeah. What what do you think it is? What do you think it is? Yeah, I think Aidan O'Brien is intense, driven, and it it's it's a, it's a tough school for for the jockeys as well as it is for for the horses. Ryan Moore, I think, has the the strength of character to be able to to withstand the the relentlessness of 
riding in Group 1 races week in, week out and being scrutinised accordingly. So he's unlikely to get rattled by external comment. And whilst he is going to feel internal pressure more, more keenly, it's still not going to knock him off course. And also, I think their 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 interests are very much aligned. You know, Ryan Moore is never happier than riding Group One horses in Group Ones. The quality of the horse he rides matters to him greatly. Um, and so he he would he wants he he embraces positively embraces riding around the world because that enables him to participate at the level that he is interested in participating. Also, and we've seen this a bit with the the Gosden to Tory thing. Trainers will always have their own views. They'll always have an awful lot of good sense to talk, but they'll also quite often have flights of fancy that might be at odds with what the the jockey thinks. I would suggest that Ryan Moore is clear of purpose enough to be able to to know what 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 he wants to get out of the situation and know when to soak up all the information he's given and know when to gently ignore it. I, I think that's very very nicely put. Uh, he can certainly separate the signal from the noise and yes i think he has he he has his own thoughts his own mind and uh, that would be his his thoughts would be primary he trusts his own judgment let's talk about godolphin and coolmore then as uh, rivaling one another really intensely for the major two-year-old prizes for the remainder of the season i'm looking at that through the prism lydia not only of noble style the gym crack winner but also silver knot who many people might have not seen or not not or ignored because there's so much else going on, who made a really striking impression in the Group 3 Solario Stakes at Sandown in the UK on Saturday. He really did. And it looked like as though mentally he had taken a quite a big step forward. He hung badly left when winning his novice at Kempton the time before, after which William Buick said to Charlie Appleby that making the running on this horse is not a good idea. So Charlie Appleby asked Pat Dobbs, who rode him at Sandown, to give the horse a target, uh, which, which he did. But, I mean, he just he just smoothly went to the front. I mean, he was steadied in last. Of course, a little bit wide. It was messy early, but uh, steadied in last, travelled comfortably, ran to the front on the bridle, led over a furlough, out just edged a little bit right into the rail but strode clear and now they're talking about the royal lodge the group two over a mile at Newmarket. uh the dam stayed thoroughly that's god given who uh, won the park hill over an extended 14 furlongs for luca Kamani, but also importantly a uh, group one in italy over 10 furlongs she's a half sister postponed and this is her first foal um so uh also, Charlie Appleby described um, Silvernot as being to the fore of the Godolphin team. But it's been a good week for the Godolphin team. You mentioned Noble Style, who's I, I'm a hugely paid up fan and regular listener to the podcast will know that uh, of this of that horse. And he won the Jim Crack. You had Desert Order winning the Convivial. Uh, of course, they've also got Na- Naval Power, the wide margin winner, winner of the Patedery at Ascot. So they've got a very, very strong hand. William Buick was minded to feel that Noble Style might be the one to go towards the national stakes and that would set up an absolutely a a, a clash to relish with Mm. little big bear so the two superpowers they're right up there with their two-year-olds and it's a it's going to be a fiercely contested battleground between now and and breeders cup time it wasn't a very auspicious european debut for very elegant the star australian mare finished last of the seven runners in the pre-jean romanet yesterday she wasn't beaten all that far off a steady pace lydia the trainer wasn't too discouraged racing fans were rather disheartened where were you on this um, I would be listening to Francis Henri Graffard, who said that, you know, from a 
from a, a racing point of view, it, it might have looked disappointing, but from a training point of view, he felt it was not. I mean, it was a, a pace-dominated race. Sean Levy, who won this Group 1 for Richard Hannon Jr., on Arisio, an important success for that horse owned by Bernie Roberts. And I'm, I'm really pleased for them, for them because she was second in the Middleton earlier part of this season, second in the Nassau going into this. And she just denied Ross Carberry for um, Paddy Toomey. But they sat first and second throughout and very elegant, was steadied from the start. It was clearly, it, it said to me that this was deemed to be by connections, a stepping stone run even before the race panned out to be uh, controlled at the front and very little that Frankie de Torre, having committed to, to, to hold up, could really do about it. Um, you know, she obviously she's going to need to take a good step forward. They were talking about the Vermeer next, potentially still en route to the arc. If, if I was thinking of her for the arc, if I backed her for the arc, um, if you, I was excited about her campaign in Europe, I wouldn't be judging her on just this run. And fortune favours the the brave, and and we we're very happy that she's here in Europe to give it a go, even if it doesn't work. As we are happy when horses come from America to run at Royal Ascot. Horses like, for example, Spenderella, who was Absolutely. second to Inspiral in the Coronation Stakes. She's gone back to the states and bolted up at the at the weekend. And her trainer Graham Motion joins me now, where he's just watching horses jog at, at Saratoga uh, on the East Coast. Graham, to to take a horse to to England, we know it's a big deal. To, to go back, how? How worried you get about running first time back off the plane? Yeah, I mean, look, I felt like we gave her plenty of time. Uh, I thought it was a hard race, and it was very hot that day. Um, so I, I did want to be sure we gave her plenty of time, and this was kind of always our goal. Uh, and when you when you started training her up again back home, um, did did she show signs that that she she thrived for the experience? You know, I certainly didn't notice that it had hurt her. Um, and I, I must say, even in the in the meantime, I feel like she's even grown up some more. She's kind of a bigger, a bigger, stronger version of herself. So I, I think the time has done her good, and possibly brought her along, brought her along mentally. Yeah, I think so. I mean, although she's always been very professional, she's a very straightforward filly to be around. It's hard to believe, given what she's achieved, that that her career didn't even begin until until this year, until this calendar year. Yeah, and I've got to be honest, I, I did not know how good she was at the time. I mean, I obviously thought she was a, a good filly, but I didn't think she was this kind of filly. I, I, I would not have known, and she just continued to impress me. Is there anything that you saw at Del Mar at the weekend that you didn't know already? I felt that... I thought it was a little bit of a tricky race on paper, partly because it was a big field and it was horses that I didn't really know that well. But I, I guess I was still impressed with the ease with which she was able to win it. I mean, it really was, I felt pretty confident the whole way around there that she was uh, travelling the best. I noted that uh, your your rider, Tyler uh, Gaffleyon, was saying that uh, she really just had, had push-button acceleration. It, it, is, she, is she a faster filly than, than perhaps you thought she was, or do you think she, she needs to stretch out? You know, William and I talked about it after Asker. I mean, William really felt that she's she's a miler, and I think I think he's probably right in that she's she's probably would be a miler at home, where it's a little more, you know, a little more um, it's a little tougher on on the undulating courses and such. I think we get away with a mile and eight here uh, on the firm flat turf courses. I, I, Tyler and I talked about it before the race. I just felt very strongly that she. She doesn't have to be on the lead. You know, in her early races, she always ended up on the lead. But I think it's just because she's that fast. Um, there was plenty of pace at Delmar, and, and I was pleased that she settled the way she did, which she needed to, to go to go the extra furlong. 
And you were saying that uh, your assistant, Alice Clapham, was saying in the interview with TVG that it would be the, the QE2 uh, next at Keeneland, which is worth an awful lot of money. I think it's $600,000. You said if that was the case, that would be it. Why would there be no, no Breeders' Cup for her this year? You know, unlike you guys at home, I just feel like we're much more reluctant to take on older horses, especially older males with three-year-olds. So I, I... I feel like that will be enough for her. I think if we if we get to the QE2, that would be the end of the year for her. And, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll get back to Ascot next year. A training great motion there, talking about the thrilling victory of Royal Ascot runner-up Spenderella in the Del Mar Oaks at the weekend, Lydia. Yeah, I was delighted to see this, um, that, that Fortune has favoured the Brave, because it was a bold shout. I mean, I know that the, um, the programme book, uh, lent lent to the decision to come over to Britain, but um, the fact that she was able to travel over here, travel back, and then win her Group One in the Del Mar Oaks, I think, was really pleasing. And I totally agree with your comments about very elegant. I mean, this is a um, eleven-time Group One winner in Australia from distances from seven furlongs to two miles. She won the Melbourne Cup. I mean, it, uh, why with a horse with a CV like that? You know, why would you d- dis- dismiss her on one run? I mean, connection just saying she was she was very rusty, which is understandable and they'd said that she was going to be rusty they've been talking about her preparation she was going to be running in the Rothschild they wanted more time to run here in the Jean Romanet um and I think I I just I wouldn't want people to to be put off from doing these sporting enterprising um campaigns because they they fear that their reputation will just be be trashed after just one one run i mean that seems to me extraordinary i mean i i I wish them the very best of luck i i I applaud their decision to bring very elegant to europe and i hope it pays off for them the aforementioned spenderella was beaten by inspiral at ascot it was announced over the weekend inspiral would have probably just one more run this season in the qe2 at ascot but she would be kept in training next year i'd imagine connections will be hoping the ground is not too soft come champions day interestingly mal Jume, who she might meet in the qe2 if everything goes right for him he won't be ready to make his target in the pre de moulin according to william haggis who i spoke to earlier today uh, and he works so that means he won't be ready to run in the celebration mile this weekend at goodwood either so in case you were thinking that he might run in either of those think again lydia Interesting. Okay. And uh, he obviously put up a bad scope, didn't he? And is that he's been slow to recover from that? Is that what's happened? My understanding is that the on the scope, the the white cell count was was quite high to accompany the dirty scope. So it'd just take a little a little longer to to get over whatever whatever is ailing him. But I think he'll be okay in time, but it's just a bit longer. Okay, you would hope that um, that that he would stay in training at four as well, um, because clearly he's a, a large talent, and things have conspired so far not to be able to for, for him to be able to demonstrate that. And going back to Inspiral in the QET, well, they, they've got a bit of a chance with the ground because at least it's on the straight course, not the round course. Um, you know, which which even if we, we do get traditional autumnal weather, uh, will will help her out. Um, and John Gosden, of course, has won that with a filly for Tudley Park. So quite recently, persuasive in 2017. And after that, after Inspiral's success in the Jacques Lemaire, beating Colts impressively, I think, um, really, I mean, it, whilst the Coronation Stakes was impressive in term, visually, in terms of substance, uh, the Jacques Lemaire was a, a, a really convincing effort. Um, and so it, logically, you would want to stay in, in that that uh, deep, i.e. still taking on the top um, Colts and Geldings around. And uh, now it would seem certain that uh, Bayed isn't going to be one of her rivals. 
John Gosling can win handicaps as well, particularly if they're worth half a million pounds, as Saturday's Skybet Ebor was. He teamed up with Frankie Dottori, and for all in Spiral had given them a group one since their non-split, split, non-split. <laughs> this perhaps was the, the one that resonated most um, because Dottori's ride was sublime, Lydia, and you got a you got a, a, a bit of vintage Gosling afterwards. I did indeed. I did indeed. Uh, going back to Trawlerman's sire, uh, Golden Horn, and what they did with Golden Horn in the arc. It was a uh, vintage Dottori staying out wide on on Trawlerman, wasting no energy, just sliding across in front. Um, and then he admitted afterwards in the, in the closing stages when he was um, headed, he thought he was he was beaten, but um, he rallied really strongly and led again inside the final strides. It was a it was a really vintage. Frank de Tory ride to narrowly beat Alfred Boucher and the Gamble Earl of Tyrone back in third. Uh, it was a it was a good it was a good Ebor. It was an exciting Ebor, and it was uh, nice to see Trollerman popping up. So you, you might have thought you knew a little bit about this this handicapper called Alfred Boucher, who'd been running to a perfectly high level for a, for a number of years. But it's fair to say his star status increased exponentially. Uh, by winning a, a hundred grand handicap at York and then wheeling back to go within a nose of of taking the the five hundred thousand pound Ebor, sort of thing that, that as we were saying gets done not here really but more often in Australia. So everyone's mind started to think, well, could this be a, a Melbourne Cup horse? Uh, Ian Williams, the trainer, is is with me now. A lot of water's flown under the bridge in about five days, Ian, hasn't it? <laughs> I was just uh, I was walking back from the gallops this morning, just chatting with uh, with my assistant Ben, and said to him, um, "You know, it's amazing that uh, yeah, nothing's particularly exciting. You've got a couple of nice runners during the week, and all of a sudden you've won a couple of decent handicaps, and um, just being just being nosed out of an e-ball again. It's the second time in seven years. So, um, what a great week! Fantastic. You had to be a little bit, a little bit sad not to win, but you have to be delighted to have finished second as well. So your your mind starts to think, right? What what can this horse do now? Uh, and Mel- Melbourne's kind of an obvious target. You got you got notification from Racing Victoria and the VRC today of what weight you would get. Yeah, um, I'm. I must admit, personally, I thought, well, we're unlikely to get into Melbourne. Was- was thinking more of um, what he might do in the winter in Dubai. Um, but earlier this morning, we just had a notification that he was given a mark of 53, which um, is quite high, um, but it's high enough to actually probably get a run this year. So he, he has this morning been nominated for the um, for the Cup. I, what, how do you feel about it? From, from your tweet, it suggests that you would quite like to have a crack, but the owner's not so sure. Well, I, I actually, I've, I've rung Robert a couple of times this morning, but haven't been able to speak to him yet. Um, Robert's a flamboyant character, as you know. I think, uh, I think the opportunity to travel, um, he finds extremely exciting. Uh, it's just a question of where and when. Um, and um, as there's been a lot of water flow under the bridge in the last five days, there's probably an awful lot more to come before he actually puts foot on the plane to to Melbourne. But uh, it's very nice to have the option, and it's something that we can we can have a discussion about and see see whether it it suits suits us going forwards. But you know, Alfred's six years old now; he's seven after Christmas. Um, as I said to Robert before the Ebor, sometimes you have to take these. Uh, take these opportunities when they when they present themselves i think one of the first times i actually talked to you at any length was about 16 years ago 
when I was co-hosting a, an event for the Melbourne Cup in Manchester. And Absolutely, yeah. I think I you were the well. you were you were the only trainer there, and you were completely um, enraptured by the idea of of one day having a horse good enough to go there and then and then win the race. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, we've had a couple we've had a couple of shouts at it with um, Munsef uh, many years ago. Actually, not too long after that meeting, and um, Magic Circle uh, turned up there as favourite four years ago. So. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's a wonderful thing to do, and it's a wonderful opportunity to have a horse that that might be good enough to race and be competitive. Uh, and might he be the sort of horse that could take it quite well temperamentally? Well, it was a it was a conversation that um, Robin and I had sort of within the moments after the race about you know that we could possibly travel him now. Um, the one thing about him is is that he's a very straightforward horse to train and um, doesn't mind a bit of fast ground. Um, great thing about um, Melbourne is that the horses travel a, a good while in advance. So as long as he settles in, um, the actual travelling, which I don't think would be an issue, but should it be, um, you have enough time to um, to correct and um, measure things back to where they need to be. And we were talking about horses backing up quickly after a run and, and seeing what he did. Do you think, do you think our trainers... And I know you've done it a few times at Ascot and York. Do you think our trainers aren't imaginative enough about about getting horses back and taking the opportunities a la Australia? Um, I think I think sometimes it, it's what the what the program allows and what the horse himself allows. Um, you know, some horses can take take racing very hard, um, and others don't. If we take Alfred as an example, um, he walked across the track after his run on Wednesday. Uh, and had recovered within sort of 15 minutes of, of running the two miles. And when he was exercised on Friday morning, Nathan, his regular pilot, said, uh, boss, the horse feels better today than he did on Tuesday. Mm. Um, so, you know, the signs, were, the signs were positive that you can do that. But there, there are times when you have some, some major disappointments. But as, as long as everybody's, um, you know, grown up about it, and there's no risk to the to the well-being and the soundness of the horse, then sometimes it's a thing to do. Trainer Ian Williams there. It was an exciting Ebor, unless, like me, you'd backed Alfred Boucher, but I'm ah. in huge admiration for him, having done what he did twice in the space of four days, winning a two-mile handicap and then backing up with a, a great run in the Ebor, and well back ah. to do so. Highfield Princess won the Nunthorpe 12 days after winning the Morris de Geest over a furlong and a half further. A, a double look would be inconceivable to most people we saw pogo running a career best just seven days after one of his lesser efforts in the hungerford at newbury both in in group twos are our trainers starting to get the hang of being a little bit more imaginative do you think i would love to think that they are i would i would really absolutely love to think so because i mean one of the key problems with uh field sizes is not just a, a leakage of some key horses at a at an upper level um you know our best handicaps and sort of lower level uh, group and, and and listed races it's also the number of times that uh horses run per season that's key to our field size key to the excitement provided by our sport so i'd love to think that that that, that was the case i just wonder whether it depends on the on the particular horse and that still um, some sort of uh, protectionist uh, campaigning uh, too often will still continue to kick on on Highfield Princess I I just love that I mean the moment you saw how she was traveling with a target on the Platinum Queen's back in the Nunthorpe it was just all over from an early stage for me watching it it was 
all over because Highfield Princess, you could see, had not had not left anything behind in the in the Morris de Geest, and she had adapted to five furlongs on a speed track uh, like a like a duck to water. It was superb to see and uh, really richly deserved for the whole Quinn team, I think, and for Jason Hart who was on board. Frankie de Tory after his victory on Trollman in the Ebor and his four hundred thousand pounds City of York uh, stakes win on Kin Ross, then went off to France yesterday, and we talked about. Um, the the pre-morning and the victory of Blackbeard. He rode the runner-up Persian force there in the colours of Ammo Racing because, as we reported last week, Kiev Jarabchin had, uh, he believed, um, taken taken Ross Orion off runners temporarily or suspended him temporarily, pending, as he described it, an internal investigation. Um, uh, Ross Orion rather got out in front of that Lydia at York and effectively fired himself, as far as I can tell took matters into his own hands yes, that's I think. maybe a better way of putting it yeah um which you know, I'm, I'm still learning uh things about about ross orion but struck me from what i do know as not atypical um i think he, he is somebody who who thinks deeply who uh has his own mind we're going back to, to comparisons with ryan ryan moore here and decided what he wanted to, to do in the situation he found himself in lydia David Walsh wrote a piece in the Sunday Times yesterday that revisited the Dan Skelton, Anthony Holt dispute from before Christmas. Um, just remind everybody what was going on then and what's happened now. OK, so um, Anthony Holt, um, who leads a syndicate of six owners, uh, lodged a formal complaint with the British Horse Racing Authority more than four years ago now against Dan Skelton, who is one of our leading jumps trainer. They have now uh, taken uh, their claim to the High Court um, and uh, Dan Skelton has until the 26th of September to submit his defence. It relates to a contentious sale. It's a horse called George Gently, who was sold in October 2016. The syndicate paid £130,000 for it, but this horse then developed a serious tendon tendon injury um, and after two poor runs he was sold for £1,800. The dispute between the owners and the trainer arose later. Um, according to the syndicate they believe that uh, Dan Skelton had a beneficial interest in the horse that he didn't disclose when encouraging the horse the owners to buy it and, and Dan Skelton denies that he was a part owner of George Gently, uh, they said that they were. Uh, the syndicate says that they were told by the horse's two-thirds owner at the time, David Futter, that uh, Dan Skelton had that one-third share. Yes, and so now the BHA, um, having initially decided there was no case to answer, after the uh, piece appeared in the Sunday Times over Christmas, maybe coincidence, maybe not, intimated to Dan Skelton that there there was a case to answer and that they would charge him. Um, under the uh, code of conduct, which they believed he'd breached. That was reported to us by Dan Skelton. Now, everybody waited with bated breath for the charges to be issued. And the charges, if they did come, were not made public. So they may, they may he may have been charged, he may not have done. We don't actually know that. I've been in touch with the BHA today with the news that Tony Holt and his syndicate members were going to take this to the High Court. But the BHA replied with, a BHA does not comment on speculation surrounding investigations or potential investigations. However, the BHA has concerns about the accuracy of the reporting over the weekend and would encourage the media to be mindful of the privacy of all parties in this case, which mm. is 
it, it, it's the first part of that is quite a standard BHA response. The second part of it, not quite so standard. Absolutely. I think that is notable. I mean, normally the sentence would end before the word however, I think the statement, wouldn't it? There'd be a full stop there and nothing more would be said. Um, yeah, I, I, it's interesting. I, I, it's, it suggests that there is that there is quite a lot going on behind the scenes that we don't know, but it's uh, right to point out that the uh, formal charges, that the, the, the statement that, that there has been a, a formal charge from the BHA has not been forthcoming it was only uh what dan skelton volunteered and is, uh, was told he says privately by the bha that says that was the case in terms of public domain that hasn't been confirmed so i i wonder whether that has some implications for the second half of the sentence in that unusual statement i think it's fair to say um from the bha or certainly a longer statement than we would normally expect Right, we didn't really have time to to visit the situation with Entain, the parent company of Ladbrokes and Coral last week, who have agreed to pay £17 million, Lydia. It's not a £17 million fine levied by the Gambling Commission, but it is a a voluntary payment because the Gambling Commission have found Entain to be in breach of serious regulations. Just tell us what they are and why it's so serious. Okay, so it's a failure to in- intervene uh, with uh, customers showing uh, uh, traits of compulsive gambling, both online and in retail, and also failing to uh, to put up the uh, proper anti-money laundering um, guards. Although um, the Commission investigation did find no uh, criminal activity in the latter area, but just contended that the lack of uh, guards in that area or, or application of guards uh, left the door open to to that potential. Of course, this is the second uh, fine that Antain, Entain, the owner of Ladbrokes Coral, have sustained. Um, this one relates to activity in 2019 and 2020, but they were also fined 5.9 million in 2019 over failures in social responsibility measures. Um, they say here that uh, they use that legacy word, which uh, is always what corporations use when they're looking to distance themselves from their own behaviour um, from in previous years. They said that it's a legacy of, of systems and processes that were in, in place at the time. They point to um, their launch of their Advanced Responsibility and Care Initiative, which was launched in 2021, i.e. after this period that has generated this latest uh, fine. Um, that's an AI-driven uh, um, programme, and they have said that it's reduced. It's, it's resulted in a 30% fall in customers increasing their risk levels, whatever that means. Um, but the Gambling Commission has said that Entain must nominate a board director to oversee improvements and that they must submit to a third party audit to ensure license compliance. There's some quite strong, um, some strong quotes here from um, Andrew Rhodes, who's the Gambling Commission's chief executive. He says they, meaning Entain, should be aware that we will be monitoring them very carefully and further serious breaches will make the removal of their license to operate a very real possibility we expect better and consumers deserve better. So that's a very strong statement and a much stronger um, statement than than perhaps it, it, more within the sort of sporting reports of this. I mean, that was that's uh, that statement is uh, comes from an article in the in The Guardian um, on Wednesday. Um, why does this matter? It matters because it, it's the case of what are 
bookmakers building their profits on? Are they building their profits on people who are um, compulsive gamblers? And uh, what? how does the wider public perceive that? Because, I mean, that that is not a, a sustainable model within current society, you know, and if the wider public believe that's the case, then they are going to turn against um, bookmakers and bookmaking and want sterner and sterner regulation. To me as well, it, seem, it seems that the Gambling Commission are, um, you know, beefing up their process is uh, belatedly in many ways. I mean, this is this is a landscape over which they have regulated for some time, but now we're starting to see some actual um, teeth to the process, and they are would be hoping for uh, a more beefed up role under the much delayed white paper, if or when that ever lands and actually becomes um, law within this country. I should just point out that Clean Up Gambling, which is a non governmental and non profit organisation campaigning on gambling reform, they pointed out that the Entain fine amount to less than 10% of their net profits in 2021. And they contend that a business model that derives the majority of its revenue from people addicted or at, or at risk, um, it means that uh, that kind of model is cheaper uh, than building a risk-free model, which is probably why Entain has pointed out recently that reliance on v- VIP customers, as they were uh, once termed, has reduced significantly, with 90% of revenue now generated from recreational and low-spend punters, up from around 60% 12 months ago. Um, But this is not a a, a landscape that is going to go quiet. Um, There is obviously the white paper. Ian Duncan Smith is a a very strong campaigner in this area and wants gambling reform, wants wants, um, all um, legal uh, measures to be tightened in this area. He's a big um, supporter of the uh, uh, conservative would-be leader, um, Liz Truss. She's the front runner in the context. So that's all in the background. And also there is a current ongoing review by the Gambling Commission into William Hill. So this is a live area and you know bookmaker behaviour um, keeps bringing their own business model, their themselves, under scrutiny. Okay, we're thick in yearling sales season already. It's just the end of August. Uh, Tomorrow marks the beginning of the Goffs UK Premier Yearling Sale, which will take place in Goffs Complex, uh, right next door to Doncaster Racecourse. Tim Kent, the Managing Director, is is with me now. Uh, Tim, how are preparations coming along? It's going well so far. Um, The horses arrived uh, over the last few days. Showing started yesterday. Um, and uh, the, the overwhelming feedback we had from, from vendors yesterday was, was how busy it was. Everyone was very surprised about how busy it was on Sunday, and we know there are more faces due, due into the sales complex today, and, and, and more people will come simply for the sale. And There's some new faces as well, which is great. Some, some buyers are on their way from Australia, um, some new faces from America, and, and some new domestic buyers as well. So it, um, it bodes well, and we're, we're, we're very hopeful. There's some, there's some lovely horses, and one um, one of the breeds up vendors who, who goes around and looks at everything, he sent me a message yesterday saying um, it, it, it's a greatly improved quality of catalogue here this year compared to last. So we um, that, that's very heartening and we need to hope that, that that spills through to the sale. Have you tried to widen the type of horse that you're, that you're looking for to, to accept into this premier sale? Uh, I think we've actually done the opposite, Nick. We 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 we're probably guilty of the last few years of slightly moving away from from the brand of horses, the, the, the sort of Donny two-year-old type, if that makes sense. So we've we've gone gone back to basics, if you like, back back to what what made us famous. So we're, we're looking for the. If you look on the on the front of the catalogue, Isaac 
Isaac Shelby, William Superlative at, at Newmarket. It's that sort of horse that can be winning good good races as two-year-olds and, and then go on and be hopefully decent sprinter milers as, as as three-year-olds. And we've gone, we've tried to go to to, to be um, harder on ourselves so that people know what to what to what to what's coming out of the stable when when they come and buy a dogster. So there is such a thing as a Doncaster horse. You are trying to go for that brand. You're not. You're not trying to b- borrow from from competitors, if you like. No, we, we. I think we were guilty of doing that in the past. But we, we're very much, as I said, going, going back to back to what we're good at, which is those those good high class two year olds uh, that can go on to to, to, to be three year olds. And and it's it's th- that's our brand. That's what that's what's worked for us. That's what people expect to find here. That's why you get a huge number of breeze up. Uh, pin hookers here because they're the, they're the sort of horse that, that they uh, they specialise in as, as well as the trainers, um, and it's a it's the sort of horse as I said you can you can see see running as a two year old they've already got a, they've got a big hit they've got a great walk they're very forward yearlings they will hopefully be forward two year olds and, and can f- perform as such on the race course. But I know I know sales houses don't like flagging up obvious highlights before the sale because they want to let the market do do its thing. But when you put out your releases. What sort of horses? What sort of stallions are you uh, are you suggesting might draw people to the sale? Yes, yeah, can always get you into trouble. This sort of thing, but we've got a. We, we I'd love to be able to tell you now what the sale topper is going to be. I don't know what it is, but we've got a number of nice horses. There's a there's a, a, a good handful of the likes of Kodiaks and Memas. Uh, established stallions, Dark Angels, some very nice Dark Angels I saw yesterday. Um, there's, there's a Frankel, who's done very well. Um, he looks fantastic. There's a Kingman, um, who we're very happy with. There's a Wooden Bassett that, that one of my colleagues is, is very, very keen. I saw him yesterday. He's a lovely horse. We've also got a number of, a number of um, first season stallions. Yeah, first couple of, like I said, Blue Point, Too Darn Hot, Massar, the, the, the Derby winner, uh, Inns of Court. There's a number of them that they're, they're very smart. Invincible Army, I saw a number of them yesterday. Soldiers Call as well. So, I think there's a there's a range of established stallions as well as well as the the new stars um, and and one of the great results for us is we had our sales race at York last week was run won by Richard Hannon who's a who's a huge supporter of us uh, a Midland Park we could have have the first and second in the race and um, and the, and the, the horse was by Havana Gray who's obviously been a, a sensation this year and we've got twenty Havana Gray yearlings in 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 the sale selling tomorrow and Wednesday so that was that was a great update as if Havana Gray needed any more any more support but um, yeah there's a there's a, a range of established and uh, and new stallions and um, it it's uh, it's an exciting mix and we think there's something there for everyone. Uh, and Tim, no sooner have we uh, have we uh, got this week uh, out of the way with the with the yearlings, then you're off to do something completely different with the, with the Goss Yorton sale at Yorton Farm up in Welshpool, just the just the other side of the Welsh border. Uh, that that's really starting to gather some traction now. Exactly. Yes, we've got two two sales coming up in quick succession. We've got our September horse in training sale, um, which is on the on the Wednesday of that week, and there'll be um, uh, dispersals there from annual dispersals from Jigginstown, which was very popular, and, and a number of horses from. Uh, um, uh, Trevor Hemmings uh, and, and Rob Core as well. So there's a good catalogue there. And then we move the next day to, as you said, to Yorton, which uh, is, is a, has really gained um, a lot of traction over, over recent years. It's a, it's a new concept. David Footer and his team put it to us. It's a new concept. Took, perhaps took a while for people to get their heads around it. But I think this year's catalogue has really caught the imagination. There's, there's 40 very smart horses in there. There's there's um there's 17 by by Blue Brazil which which really helps and I haven't seen the horses myself yet. My colleague Jeremy Mataggart went down to see them. He is adamant that the, that the quality is better than it's ever been. And just seeing some of the videos that the lads are putting out, 
the horses jumping over, uh, jumping in the sand school and that sort of thing. They, they look fantastic. So we'll get this week out of the way um, and, then, and then we'll switch codes and, and, and head towards head towards Wales and, um, and look forward to seeing everyone down there. But, uh, but the, the, the catalogue so far has, has, has sold itself and um, we're hopeful that we can we can get a few results out of there and there'll be a number of horses for, for both pin hookers and trainers I think with, with the trainers thinking about this the three old hurdle series that's coming into the UK um, that, that's certainly something that, uh, that the trainers should be, should be thinking about for at, at that sale Thanks Tim, thanks to all my guests today Lydia, Lydia is still with me, I'm smiling because I've Chris Cook's excellent daily front runner column has just popped into my inbox from the Racing Post and he's written a piece, I, it's, I mean it's not necessarily funny but he uh, he says, as parting gestures go, having your ashes scattered at Cheltenham is an unbeatable way of showing your love for the great game. Um, but it has the disadvantage that your final resting place is large and indefinite. You become part of the good to soft, soft in places. Some would prefer a tidier departure with an identifiable spot for loved ones to visit. And remember, Cheltenham Racecourse has applied for planning permission for a columbarium. If, like me, you hadn't previously encountered the word, a columbarium is a building with niches in which funeral urns are stored. They... <laughs> They've not so far become fashionable in Britain, but are a familiar concept in Europe and the US. Fans will be able to prearrange their final resting place in advance of their passing, knowing they'll secure their personal space in their chosen location at the race course. So it says in the planning application submitted by the race course recently, it's just as you walk in, Lydia, um, on, on the left of the bridge walkway leading to the Centaur building. Uh, how do you fancy it? <laughs> what, it, it? What, shortly? Do you know something I don't? Well, I don't know. I thought maybe because you and I had spent so much time there, maybe we could we could we could have box one and one A. <laughs> I can absolutely see that, that that there would be a market for it, and that people would like to see it. And um, you know, uh, we should all be a lot more comfortable with with death. I suppose life and death happening before happening, and you know, you, you know, it's. Uh, <laughs> I've just seen the artist's impression of the proposed columbarium, which is, again, like you, a word that I had not encountered before, uh, right by the centaur stand. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to say what just popped into my head. Sorry. Sorry, Nick. <laughs> it's not a it's not a, um, a site of the great... There are tranquil parts of Cheltenham Racecourse as well, but that's just not one of them. <laughs> no, that's true, actually. That's, that's, that's true. Have you, got a, have you got a tip for me today before I get into trouble? I, I, I do. I'm going to Brighton, uh, which is a lovely race course. If you haven't been to Brighton, I really do urge you to go. Um, and I'm going in the Apprentice Handicap, the opening race. Uh, Apprentice at the moment, Connor Planus is on board. Street Parade for Michael Atwater. Um, this is a horse that runs often at Brighton, goes really well at the track, has been in pretty good form recently, just narrowly touched off um, at the track last time out. This is an easing grade. And if you look back at his previous form from last year, he is well handicapped. He's also just very feasibly handicapped on the form that he's showing currently. So that's a street parade in the one o'clock at Brighton today. My four-year-old's making an unholy amount of noise outside, um, which I'm hoping you can't hear, but you probably can. I think her elder sisters have just told us that they've um, they've booked me in for a place in the Cheltenham Columbarium. But I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll, go, I'll, go, I'll go and calm her down. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you again tomorrow. That was Monday, August the 22nd. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.